The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Dan Baltic. And this is Matt Pegas. And this is our top ten episode, as all podcasts have as they're approaching the new year and, you know, getting lazy and running out of content. <laughs> That's... Right. Um, <laughs> but we crucially have produced a lot of really good content this past six months or so and this gives us a chance to revisit our top 10 things that we have read this year right it's our uh you know originally when uh when we talked about doing this there was a notion of like are we going to do a top 10 books of 2021 thing? I, I will be totally above board here. I probably have not read. I, 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 unlike the most of the population, I have read 10 plus books this year, but I've absolutely not read 10 books that were published in 2021. 100% you know? not. Yeah. Uh, we, I mean, you know, we, we've read all, 10 yeah. books, but those books have been published in many different years. Right. And you know, it's good that we've even read 10 books. It is. Most people don't. (laughs) It is good, and you know we're you know we're not a we're not we're not a fully funded uh, operation here. We don't have a stack of uh, of what's the word review copies on our desk. If that were the case, then maybe we could whip out such a list. Maybe in years future we'll have such a list. But for now, this is our top ten slash year in review. Uh, The first. Well, I could I would say the first year of New Right, but it's actually the first. It's not even we, we haven't even hit the six month mark yet. That's um, crazy. It feels it like crazy, we've actually. done like yeah. a year of work, frankly. It does. It does. We've we've definitely put a lot of work into this podcast this year. But yeah, uh, but within those first six months, episode August, yeah. we've we've only been doing this for like four and a half months at this point for like four and a half months i think this is is this even episode 10 uh i don't know i mean i'm proud of yeah the this, is done. We'll talk about this is episode 10 all right it's a good perhaps a good number to end on although actually not the, the audience doesn't need to hear this and maybe i'll edit it out but we may be we may end up posting this as episode 11 oh correct <laughs> yeah no that's but true anyway anyway this um, is the stocking stuffer episode this yes the, um if for... all goes according to plan this will be dropped I don't know, December 27th, December 28th, something in that uh, department. For all the good little boys and girls of New Right. <laughs> yes. You gotta, you gotta whip out the metaphors this season. Um, but yeah, I don't know, do you want to start getting into the list? Or do you want to, we could, maybe maybe we could talk a, a, just a tiny little rehash of, um, I guess this will go along with the list. But basically... How this podcast came to be and, and yeah yeah good yeah um it will go along with the list in many ways and we can kind of do it seamlessly but basically the story is uh 
Dan and I met on Justin Murphy's forum, and see, even that wasn't exactly the beginning of the year. It was like March of this year, True. and yeah. developed a virtual uh, friendship uh, over a shared interest in fiction and writing and publishing, and the sense that the type of work we were doing it was not going to find a home in anything remotely mainstream or in anything, the frankly anything lucrative industry. in the traditional publishing industry. And uh, New Write was uh, basically the product of uh, a long email exchange. And um, I will credit Dan with the idea. He oh, asked me one day Matt. if we should start a podcast. And my first reaction was that, uh, you know, every, everyone everyone starts podcasts. I don't, I don't <laughs> does the world need another one? Which I think may or may not be a theme of one of the items on our uh, list for 2021 that we'll get to. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm glad we started it. It's been a really incredible creative outlet for me. And as with anything else creative, uh, you don't really worry so much about are there too many podcasts out there or even if there's all that many people listening, what you worry about is do you get something out of doing it? And I can very much say that I've gotten a ton out of doing every episode we've done. I, I've learned a lot, uh, as we kind of talked about in the Kevin Kautzman episode, uh, you know, the whole social dimension of art and of writing, uh, this podcast has really become that for me. And I hope to grow in the new year. I hope that we, uh, you know, if some of my, one of my favorite podcasts, The Perfume Nationalist, <laughs> one of the most successful podcasts in our sphere, is very much a network of people. And, you know, we, we I think at this point, New Right has a small, compact group of people that are following it that are you know, posting and tweeting. So many of whom are former guests, but nevertheless, that's how it starts. And I hope we can um, grow that network and, and be and kind of lean more into that social element. One hundred percent. And yeah, this um, you know, even if no one were listening, this isn't just you know like a great outlet just talking about this shit because like. Well, I mean, you're a little more plugged into uh, this uh, corner of the internet, or, or were a little more plugged in than I was when we met. And, like, frankly, I was losing my mind not being able to have these conversations, you know, with anyone because, you know, in the normie sphere of, you know, uh, the world, reality, mm -hmm. you can't talk about this stuff. And, um, yeah, so it's just like... It's a great outlet to, uh, you know, talk about this with you and to, you know, talk and crucially share it with our uh, our dear listeners. Right. And again, I, I reiterate, as with great writing, as with a lot of the writing that we explore here on this podcast, it's all about, you know, finding stuff that's honest and truthful, not necessarily pleasant all the time, but, uh, you know, talking about these important realities. And yeah, the goal is always if if you feel this need to express it, uh, then that is in and, in and of itself, uh, in writing as in podcasting, I would say. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, oh, and, uh, you mentioned that, um, the initial idea for the pod was broached by me, but I would remiss if I did not say we would not have a pod without Matt here who knows how to edit audio. <laughs> 
among other uh, among other excellent traits that Matt has, such as uh, oh, well, you know uh, diligence and, and making sure this gets done and happens. Thank you. I mean, I can't I can't claim any real genius at audio editing, as unfortunately I'm sure many hecklers <laughs> would love to point out. Um, it could be but, worse. It could yeah. be worse. Look, uh, you know, I, I think I, I have a basic understanding of how to, you know, splice audio tracks together. So that, that's served us well. Also, I'll just go ahead and throw this out. Maybe this will be in motion if we post this later this month as opposed to like tomorrow, which is the plan, you know, to post at the end of the month. Um, New Right should be coming to Spotify and wherever the fuck else people get podcasts. I don't really use many of those platforms. Anyway, I'm, we're probably going to invest in some kind of RSS feed. So uh, we should be expanding our reach soon. To your favorite podcatcher, as the saying goes. To your who's I don't know who says that, but I like it. Uh, it's to your favorite podcatcher or whatever. one of these, yeah. you know, like I, I feel like with every pod, they're like you know you'll find it on your favorite podcatcher. That, so well, that uh, makes sense given the way that I'm again learning the way that RSS feeds work. Uh, that kind of catches it, so to speak. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll be expanding in in every in every way in the new year. We're uh, we're getting big, as uh, they say online. You got to get big in 2021, 2022 to uh, to survive the uh, the coming years. Get big, get strong, eat raw meat. Yes. Eat and that meat. brings us to yes our first uh, entry on the list of the top ten things we've read this year. And uh, that would be uh, Mr. Uh, Michael Ma and his two books, Harassment Architecture and Gothic Violence. Yes, it's a little two and one. Uh, we should add, you know, these are in no particular order. This is neither number one or ten. We're just listing off sort of ten, ten items or ten, uh, yeah, but, you know, ten talking points, some of which contain multiple books, in this case <clears> two. <throat> Gothic Violence, which did come out in 2021. And harassment, harassment architecture, which came out in 2019, and this was selected as our first episode of New Right. Um, what was the criteria? I don't remember, but it was a good choice, <laughs> I would say, because Mike Ma is um, definitely one of the more exciting voices on, uh, in, uh, for lack of a better term, the dissident literary sphere, and uh, I mean. Yeah, reading, honestly, I don't even know if this is a good thing or something I should admit, but reading those books, you know, change, changed changed my outlook, uh, if not my life. Um, I, I am not a subscriber to the, I mean, yeah, as we talked about on the show, I don't exactly know what, what Mike Ma um, stands for in every instance. Uh, I'm not co-signing on all of it, but kind of like when I read bronze age mindset way back when and other of these sort of red pill books uh yeah definitely mike ma's sort of aesthetic vision and his again for lack of a better term sort of philosophical vision um really has been a, a major influence on me um these past six months yeah yeah so just to do like a recap of what the books are like you, uh, in case you haven't listened to her pod or, you know, are not familiar. So um, they are kind of a semi-first-person uh, novelizations of um, a sort of 
I guess, like, trad eco-terrorist mm-hmm. philosopher. I Maybe that's a, you know, I, I think that is a catch-all type of phrase, but I think that grabs a lot of what Ma is about. And, um, yeah, just here, how you, you cross Patrick Bateman with um, Timothy McVeigh, with, like, you know, I don't know, your, uh, your local uh, bodybuilder. Right, and with Bath, I guess. Yeah, with yeah. Bath, there we go. And uh, it's funny. It's, um, it has some really good satire. It's, uh, and also very, um, you know, there's a reason why he's so popular. And, I, you know, part of the reason is he's, uh, he's got a good style. It's very stylized. Right. It's very, um, like, you know, in the back of harassment architecture, he has those campaign poster mm-hmm. art, which is just, like, very, like, gonzo out there. Uh, totally. I mean, what, one, one, what I think Mike Ma, I think, you know, it's, it's a great example of how in literature and in, I don't know, wet internet use, <laughs> style matters a lot. You know, because I say that these books influence me on a philosophical level. I, it's hard for me to even parse what I mean by that. I think what I mean more is that just stylistically, um, they're a huge source of inspiration and, frankly, joy. <laughs> I don't know if that is the most common reaction because they're somewhat dark books in certain regards. But, uh, you know, reading these books is really exciting. And, and the whole uh, style and charisma that kind of goes along with Mike Ma. Um, is something to aspire to. Uh, case in point, I guess I'm. I mentioned on the podcast that he has this massive Spotify playlist, which for someone like Mike, someone controversial like Mike Ma, it's kind of arrestingly like these are just like good kind of pop and like emo rock songs. And I still listen to that pod. I still listen to that playlist like um, almost every day. I, I don't know. Oh wow. It's it's a weird it's it's just a strange thing, and it may seem extraneous to, to to mention that, but I don't know you know style matters, music matters, the, the, the you know the way that that can go along with literature and sort of create a state of mind. Um, yeah, in in many ways, since we read these books in July August, uh, I think when I look back on twenty twenty one and years of the future, I'll be like. Oh yeah, that was when I was like really into Mike Ma. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that um, it was the these yes, the white boy summer, and right, uh, right. who who is you know a bigger white boy than Mike Ma? For so. sure. So yeah, that's I guess that's the feather we can put in in this cap is uh, you know Gothic violence was the book of the white boy summer. <laughs> Now moving to uh, another white boy, uh, uh, right, I think all of our I think all of our people might be white boys. Is this a problem? Oh fuck, we're gonna get canceled. <laughs> Damn, Matt, it's been yeah. a good run. I <laughs> I think uh, I think we're done. <laughs> we got a couple Jews on the list, so we're good. <laughs> That's true. We do. Uh, well, one and. Yeah, uh, maybe uh, <laughs> but we can get into that later. Anyway, so uh, our next one is Hartiste. 
and uh, Hortis, the godfather of uh, you know game, the godfather of game. It's a great mm-hmm. you know title right there. He uh, the reason why we picked him is we wanted to do uh, an episode, the Manosphere to Literature Pipeline, and uh, no one really, in, in my opinion, our opinion, I think, in the early days of writing about game, did it with the style and the uh, flair of Artiste, uh, who uh, was called Roycey, and he um, is supposedly, uh, in, you know, apocryphally in, in the context of his writings, lived in the Chateau Hartiste. And right. he then took on the name Hartiste. So people just call him Hartiste, and that's what we're going to call him. And uh, yeah, he writes about picking up women in a way that is um, masterful and it transcends the mechanics of it and gets into the philosophical underpinnings and gets into a lot of, you know, what makes uh, men men, women women, and, um, you know, you see glimmers in it of the problems of today. It's crucial this was written in 2010, but um, he's, you know, very clearly identified um, hypergamy as a big issue, and his, you know, book is how to take advantage of hypergamy to you know to you mm-hmm. to use it so you can you know be a successful lothario and um i mean i think you know we we can see how in the 10 years uh, since then uh not just hypergamy but other aspects of society that dovetail with that have kind of uh, exacerbated and were, you know, uh, kind of in some respects, uh, you know, in a uh, not excellent position. So um, that is kind of, he diagnosed the problem 10 years ago. And, uh, and indeed, as we've mentioned on that pod, he comes to some, eventually to some solutions of his own, which was not in the writing that we read, nor do we support. Right, right. Um, the disavowal with Hartiste, of course, uh, kind of going off the rails. But um, as as you mentioned, he you know diagnoses, uh, or, or I don't want to say diagnose because that's to imply uh, you know a cure or, or whatever. Which again was not so much the focus of what we what we read. What we read was um, how how best uh, to take advantage of the sexual marketplace as it was in, in twenty ten or so. And when I think of Artiste, um, you know, he's I, I, he's he's one of these writers. I, I, it's tempting to use the red pill metaphor because uh, because it's illustrative here. But I don't even just mean sort of right wing types, although certainly this is endemic uh, to uh, writers in our sphere. Um, you know, I'd put him up there with well, obviously Bap, but also Camille Paglia, uh, with Nietzsche. I'd even you know make that stretch back to. Uh, you know, back in history. Um, he's one of these writers that it doesn't so much matter what they're writing about. You know, Nietzsche was a philosopher writing about philosophy and Greek culture. Camille Paglia wrote about, you know, Western art from the Renaissance to today. And Bap is, you know, a right-wing bodybuilder and Hartis <laughs> picking up women. Um, and all of these topics are different, but uh, but the over, it's just this incredibly red pilling for lack of a better term process where uh you you know you read these people's writings and just there's a truth sometimes a brutal truth uh imbued 
in every word and it's evident that you are dealing with a visionary someone who sees things as they are unadorned and maybe their conclusions are not always correct or what we'd like to think um but that basic visionary quality um is evident on every page and i mean these are some of my favorite writers to read agreed agreed Moving on to um, another, uh, well, another two visionaries. This, this uh, we're, we're pairing these essays together because that's how we did it when we did the pod on them. And uh, yeah, they they both wrote essays that uh, were visionary and predicted uh, the future in in some respects. One essay, the Flight ninety three election by Michael Anton. And the other, Vivictus by Curtis Yarvin, Metro Smoltbug. And um, Flight 93 election, it, um, well, just on the level of literature, I, I think we both agree. Anton is an excellent writer, and he has a real command over, like, the Flight 93 election. What a metaphor. What and that is like you know this when he wrote this he wrote it from an anonymous internet account and okay I think it was published by the Claremont Review of Books but okay back then and it was right before the 2016 election no one had even really heard of the Claremont Review of Books yeah this made its way into the culture because he called it the Flight 93 election and that was a stroke of genius. And, right, and it was yeah. yeah no, I I always love this factoid, uh, and we, this can be our little in memoriam end of the year thing too. I mean, I I love this factoid that uh, that the flight ninety three election was read aloud on the Rush Limbaugh show. Um, you know, so to a massive normie boomer con audience, and you know, as far as political essays go, it's excellent and. You know, I enjoy a lot of kind of further down the rabbit hole type of political speculation that goes on on our corner of the internet. But at the end of the day, and this is really something that I've come even, you know, to realize even more perhaps over this past year, perhaps for the past couple of years, is that at the end of the day, um, you know, it's not all about these sort of big brained uh, political autistic ideologies. You really, you have to, to reach out and build coalition with, uh, you know, that basic American demographic, uh, call them boomer cons, if you will, many of them are, but we might also call them the Americaner, um, the Trump coalition in short, and, you know, Michael Anton, and even to an extent, Yarvin, I'll give him credit, you know, um, are, are very good, I well, Yarvin's a little more complicated, I guess, but nevertheless, uh, you know, seem to be very much aware of that, that that is the political audience that is the you know that demographic is the source of political power exactly and um boy did anton help move the uh the needle and help wield that power because this was a touchstone and like lines like um comparing the election of trump to uh playing russian roulette to the election, a potential election of a president Hillary Clinton to playing Russian roulette with a semi-auto. 
that was yeah. just such a, a brilliant metaphor it just you know sticks in your mind immediately and you know it's, it's hilarious because of course that's not even possible to you know mm-hmm. play roulette with a semi-auto you just blow your brains out and uh, you know that um you know it hammered it home so to say and um yarvin obviously has a somewhat different style a little uh more as i think you've said uh matt big brained a little more uh, very online but um even so um yeah still uh you know speaks plainly truthfully and uh you know frankly in the wake of the 2020 uh election there <laughs> there were not that many you know from pieces about the uh, legitimacy of that election and uh there you know for very good reason the media won't won't touch it and um you know the you know there just isn't that much alternative uh, alternative voices out there right and so yarvin is one of them and i think he wrote you know a, a very prescient um cap portrait of what happened and uh, you know essentially and it's the same thing i've i said to you on the pod and i think i said to you before the pod you know you'll you'll never really know and politics is dirty and you know frankly it's always going to be very close from now on because the country is so evenly divided and the one who cheats better is gonna win and Mm -hmm. the, the best cheater is in some respects the legitimate president because if you're the better cheater you're more powerful right no i mean yarvin is another one of these writers who you know you will learn you'll get smarter from reading because he has a certain view of things which you know is unadorned you know and unsentimental and um you know takes a look at things and is willing to face those hard truths like that there's always um you know fuckery going on under the surface so to speak um no flight uh no sorry um vivictus uh was a great read and the reason we did that show this year and the reason why even though i suppose technically neither of those essays came out in 2021 uh vivictus must have been released about a year ago perhaps today uh, we're recording this on the 15th uh yeah it's in that general vicinity um you know these two essays when read together you know they form these bookends to the trump presidency and the moment right after the trump presidency when you can look back and you know the owl of minerva moment so to speak with the trump presidency that's a very 2021 thing because of course we had january 6th of this year and then you know trump's ouster and then biden uh coming into power and that just kind of being this steady downward slope in so many ways um you know that that really defines 2021 we're still i don't know i can't speak for 2022 but as, as far as 2021 is concerned we were still in that moment just after trump and so a a fine time to read uh those two bookends as we did absolutely and uh i mean you should read it over holiday it's they're still very important they still uh will help you um you know understand things and i think the next person on our list wrote a book about helping people understand something very complicated yes uh very complicated indeed uh this one's a this one's a me item i don't think uh 
Dan has read the book. Yet, yeah, uh, not maybe. yet. The goal I've... is to the goal is to get Michael Millerman, uh, the writer of this next book, uh, perhaps on the podcast. So maybe leading up to it. But also, you know, it's not this one's not a book for everyone. It's it's philosophy, um, and rather dense philosophy of that. Uh, next item uh, is beginning with Heidegger. Uh, by Michael Millerman. Uh, Michael is uh, a uh, Canadian-based um, former, you know, a PhD uh, in political science. Um, who, uh, beginning with Heidegger, is basically the published form of his dissertation, published by Arctos, uh, late 2020. I I read it at the very beginning of this year. I think I literally read it on my plane trip back from the holiday in 2020 for, for Christmas in 2020. Uh, oh, wow. So, it, yeah, very much a top-of-the-year item for me. Uh, I've taken uh, a couple of courses with Michael Millerman. Uh, the last one was at the beginning of this year with um, through Justin Murphy's uh, through Justin Murphy's company, Other Life Co., uh, Co uh, which is also ties into to meeting Dan and starting this podcast because um, that's the reason I was on Justin Murphy's forum in the first place was as a as a place to talk about this course. That I was taking, actually not on Heidegger, but on Leo Strauss. Um, anyway, to to summarize the book, uh, beginning with Heidegger, um, again Michael Millerman's dissertation, published form from Arctos, uh, deals with the influence of Martin Heidegger, uh, who is a uh, you know philosopher that I, like many people in our sphere, have been interested in for some time. Really complicated, uh, and in, in, in many ways, you might say dense philosopher. Um, though I think deceptively so, I think once you really delve into his thought, uh, maybe it's not as complicated and strange as it seems. And uh, no one better to introduce you to it, perhaps, than, than Michael Millerman in this book. And he, he summarizes um, Heidegger's views uh, in general, but, all, but more so uh, talks about their influence on um, Richard Rorty, Leo Strauss, uh, Jacques Derrida, uh, these basically philosophers from across the spectrum uh, since the time of Heidegger, since the early 20th century, uh, how these various philosophers, one of them, uh, Rorty being a, a, you know, an American liberal philosopher, uh, Jacques Derrida being you know a post-structuralist leftist, Leo Strauss being the godfather of neoconservatism, so to speak, um, all took either influence for Heidegger, from Heidegger or had to pass through the thought of Heidegger. Uh, and it's a very compellingly laid out um, essay. Uh, and again, not necessarily for everyone, uh, but if you are interested in understanding Martin Heidegger's uh, philosophy more, and uh, it's something that I would advocate as someone interested in philosophy, um, then beginning with Heidegger by Michael Millerman, uh, is a very good book for you. Uh, I left one name off of the list of philosophers that Beginning with Heidegger covers, uh, which is Alexander Dugin, uh, mm. the Russian, um, I'll just call him a Russian philosopher because I don't necessarily believe that he's a fascist as he's accused of being. Um, and I didn't leave that off on purpose, but it's, it's fitting to end talking a little bit about Dugin because uh, Dugin is also... There's another philosopher of a lot of interest to me and another philosopher of a lot of interest to Michael uh, and someone he's translated. It was, he's pretty much the uh, 
the primary translator of uh, Alexander Dewey into English, I guess, uh, as, lo- as well as uh, Richard Spencer's ex-wife, uh, Nina <laughs> Capernova. I, I think, but I don't. I'm not sure if there's been any other translations except by Michael Millerman and Richard Spencer's ex-wife of Dugan into English on any kind of extensive basis. Uh, I could go on. Um, I hope we get Michael Millerman on this show and that we can go more into this. But basically, the reason why Millerman, uh, who is a very very nice guy you know he has a family he's not he, he's not what you'd think of as a dissident per se and he's certainly not an extremist um but he was effectively canceled from academia uh for his interest in alexander dugan um and had to publish his book with arctos which i you know i i like arctos quite a bit i'm not trying to slander their name in any way but obviously arctos is fairly right-wing publishing outfit um but that is the only place that would take michael's work um what were you gonna say yeah, so sorry. like <laughs> uh like many i uh or maybe not like many but i did read heidegger in college don't remember virtually any of it so i am a prime customer of uh michael's here and uh yeah i'm uh, i'm looking forward to digging into beginning with heidegger so i can um you know remember what i i once knew yeah for sure i mean that's that's the boat that i was in uh you know i was long into heidegger and i kind of a few years after college i've just been like oh heidegger like i don't really remember what any of that was about and then one day it kind of hit me like it would actually be good to to know what that was about and uh and between that and any kind of reading some of Michael, most largely Michael Millerman is, is kind of the person I've been reading about, you know, on Heidegger. Uh, and as well as I actually took a course with Michael on um, some of Heidegger's work that uh, in 2020 into the beginning of this year um, brought me to a point where, you know, I feel like I have some idea of what Heidegger was saying. However, this is all about nine months in the past. So I've probably forgotten it all again <laughs> and will need to be reminded but we can, we can move to the next item, uh, which I guess I can just get right into if it sounds good, because this is another one that I put on the list, and another one that I read around this same period of time when I was taking a class with Michael Millerman through Justin Murphy's company, which is Justin Murphy's Based Deleuze. Have you read any of this book, Dan? I have not, but uh, it is also on my list, like Michael's, and um, yeah, I've, uh, I've heard that it's pretty good. It is pretty good. Base to Luz is a quick, relatively quick read. Qu- quicker than beginning with Heidegger, I would say. <laughs> um, and it's a really creative uh, take on the manner in which the thought of, you know, a philosopher as ex- as ostensibly leftist as um, as Gilles Deleuze uh, actually has quite a bit of resonance um, with for lack of a better term, the based and the base sphere in our corner of Twitter. And um, in Deleuzean form, it is not a sort of analytical philosophy, premises, conclusion, argument. It is a rhizomic, <laughs> you know, um, like, like a mushroom, like a colony of mushrooms type of book, which deals with different topics uh, one by one. And there's a lot of just gems of, of wisdom uh, the one within within Deleuze's work evidently uh, but also within within Justin's book um, the the one that I remember perhaps 
most particularly and that affected me the most on an existential level being uh eh, this is gonna sound obnoxiously academic but justin murphy's reading of deleuze's reading of nietzsche's uh concept of the eternal recurrence of the same and the notion of not simply uh rolling the dice and 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 always uh loving fate not always not simply loving fate in the sense of being a hedonist but rather grounding one's commitments grounding the circumstances of one's life and affirming all of it um not sure it's something that i could unpack in the span of this episode uh but it had a pretty big influence on me and justin murphy uh who is um you know, Justin Murphy has, uh, and related to that concept I just talked about, Justin Murphy is known for having a um, arranged marriage service that he will uh, he will provide to those interested as long as they're serious. And um, I have not utilized that and won't. But uh, you know, Dan and I are, 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 are we're, we're inadvertently uh, introduced by Justin Murphy, perhaps in a similar fashion. And um, you know this podcast bound for life. The product, yeah, the product of our of our union, the union of minds. <laughs> Which uh, you know, I don't, Justin Murphy's probably busy, but yeah, he, uh, he should know he's responsible for New Right on a profound level. It, uh, I'm sure, will bring him great joy, and uh, we would love to have you on the the podcast sometime. So uh, yeah, let's do it. Moving on, I think, to uh, the next one. Now, this is um, this is a play. This is so. This is not a, a book, but uh, nevertheless, plays are often uh, read as novels, or in you know they are read as well as you know performed and, and observed. So, uh, moderation by Kevin Kautzman is our next entry here. And this holds a special place in my heart because I am a fan of theater and uh, theater as anyone who, uh, you know, is uh, even passingly familiar with that industry can tell you is uh, probably the wokest, uh, woke, wokest, least creative uh, space among the various artistic mediums today. Anything that is the uh, slightest bit honest will be crushed under the uh, you know pan uh, pan grievance pan identity uh, boot of the uh, you know the American uh, BBGAE as they say, but Kevin's play is not that. Kevin uh, wrote a play that is daring that um that is uh critical of this moment in time in uh, in a very interesting way it's about a content moderator at a facebook like company that um he uh has an assistant and uh he forms an unlikely uh kind of fixation on his assistant while they both run the gauntlet of uh, moderating content, which uh, is essentially uh, kind of subjecting yourself to disturbing images all day long in a clockwork orange-like fashion. 
and uh, this serves as you know a great vehicle for exploring the uh, uh, the inhumanity of technology, the inhumanity of male female relations today, and um, the uh, it's it's a really a great exercise and something that we have to well not we have described but we have talked about mm-hmm. how Strauss has described it as writing between the lines yeah no absolutely i mean what all my i i think i already said quite a lot of effusive things about um is, is effusive a positive word i'm, I'm losing my word it is. I, I, okay so i thought it's... about about moderation uh, on the show we do with Kautzman. but what i'll say now is just that it uh after years of not really thinking about theater it is a play that reminded me of what theater can do um it is you know a quite profound uh very simple two-person show um that manages to do uh in the way as you said it explores technology and the relationship between the sexes and, and so much else uh what you know what 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 a million millions and millions of dollar budget movie um would, would you know would be able to do but in a very simple and direct way um and in terms of the writing between the lines of it all you know there too it is a play that it doesn't wear any kind of ideology on its sleeve rather it is interested in finding the truth uh the truths of our time uh, you know, within within the details, uh, and in the case of this play, uh, a lot of it revolves around uh, you know sifting through, uh, you know, hours and hours of heinous content online. Um, you know, we're we're kind of all content moderators, and even though we don't all have this job that the characters in Kevin's play have, um, it is quite crushingly relatable. And uh, another way I'd pitch it is that it's like. It's like Joker, if like without 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 all like the gay bullshit that is kind of gets caught up with Joker. Like it's 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 like that movie Joker in terms of the way it hones in on that kind of personality. But rather than some fictional you know war between the rich and the poor comic book setup, uh, moderation goes deep and cuts to the truth. Agreed, agreed. It. Um... It's it's similar to um, uh, Waiting for Godot in mm-hmm. you know the respect that it's two characters who are kind of both uh, you know waiting for some form of deliverance and um, you know that's it's you know really an emblematic uh, you know play for our time in that we are all kind of like atomized mired in this you know this social moment and uh you know waiting for either that promotion to get into the elite and you you think that's a concept in the play waiting for love there you know that's one of the the concepts there there you know he's trying to form a connection with his uh his employee and um yeah waiting waiting for god and um, mm. you know, at the the end uh, of the play, you know, we uh, we kind of uh, get a glimpse into uh, what that uh, wait might entail. Right. And I won't say 
anymore. But um, Kevin, uh, you know, he, um, I, I don't think anyone watching this, regard, I think regardless of what side of the political aisle you're on, and chances are, if you're listening to us, you are in the culturally on the right side of the aisle, uh, which is to say the correct side of the aisle. Mm-hmm. But uh, no matter which side you are on, I think you could watch moderation and you could find something in there that you agree with. And frankly, you'll probably think that the author agrees with you too. And that's, in my opinion, the sign of a good writer. In that yeah, no, no, completely. I uh, challenging work that can be interpreted in different ways. Exactly. Uh, you know, moderation. Um, there was a Zoom sort of performance of it at the beginning of this month, the beginning of December. It is available um, in in staged reading form, I believe, uh, to the general public. So we, we will post a link with yeah. this episode. Very much worth a watch. You know, um, there's a lot of good movies out there, obviously, but this 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 play is is worth you know spending that evening watching. Let it be your your evening's entertainment. You won't be yeah. disappointed. And Dan and I will wait in anticipation of the spiritual sequel uh, to Moderation, which uh, perhaps it will be um, Kevin's Killdozer musical. Oh yes, that uh, <laughs> that would be something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I'm not even just kidding here. Like, I, the a Killdozer musical, I think, would be the spiritual sequel to this play. And I will leave that as a breadcrumb to, you know, <laughs> for people to figure out what may or may not happen in moderation. So a world where Killdozer is possible is a, a world that is, um, you know, not the best of all possible worlds. It might be something close to hell. And that brings us to our next book, which uh, is uh, Welcome to Hell by right. Bad Billy Pratt. Uh, our recent interview, uh, recent interviewee, um, Bad Billy Pratt, uh, Welcome to Hell, I think, uh, released by that. This here, here is another book that was actually released in 2021 to its credit uh, by Terrorhouse Press in June of this year. Um, <laughs> Welcome to Hell is, in some respects, a collection of uh, both personal essays and cultural commentary from Billy Pratt. And uh, really, we describe him in that episode as uh, Frog Twitter's Chuck Klosterman, and I think that's apt. He has a very incisive mind. He looks at, you know... Uh, a lot of you know cultural uh, phenomena and um, has uh, the types of insights that you know frankly you would get canceled for in the, <laughs> the mainstream you can't write these types of you know cultural commentary essays so um, so he's our guy there yeah definitely and... I mean he's uh, he, he's he's frog Twitter Chuck Klosterman meets uh, delicious tacos of course the comparison is inescapable um given sort of the way he writes about personal relationships and sex and the general atomization and hellish nature uh, of our world um but yeah no billy billy pratt was i'll say a really great discovery for me this year uh his book was published the same month as my book by the same publisher terror house and i always say this 
uh, you know, when I, when I bought that book, it made me very proud to be a Terror House alumnus as well. Um, because it's a great fucking book. And, you know, um, Billy Pratt, his Twitter, he's a, he's a great poster as well. He's a great, he's great on Twitter. Uh, catch him pretty much reposting any and all, uh, horrific or clown world type <laughs> news items with the simple caption, welcome to hell. Often followed by a link to where you can buy his book, which is uh, just about the greatest uh, marketing scheme, uh, but meaningful marketing scheme uh, for a book uh, that I've seen. And we would be remiss if we did not say that he has an excellent cover, which is a, uh, a rendering of Casey Anthony, who is, you know, a, uh, a lead starlet in hell. And uh, this was uh, drawn by none other than Matt Lawrence, who we right, did our first an guest. episode of our first guest, and who has designed the uh, the New Right logo, as right. well as the uh, Matt's book cover of Dragon Day, and the well, all the Terror House book covers, and the book covers of Delicious Tacos. Yes, um, you know the 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 illustrator of this whole scene in so many important ways, and um, yeah, no, uh, definitely another shout out to Matt um, for being our first guest. We both enjoyed his book as well. Uh, I think we wanted to also just kind of highlight Terror House as a as a as a great publisher. Um, some other books I read from Terror House beyond well, obviously I read my own book, but also Welcome to Hell, as we mentioned, um, and Matt Lawrence's book Bronin. Um, Another, you know, another great few books I read this year were Andy Nowicki, uh, the original quote-unquote alt-right novelist, um, republished a lot of his books uh, with Terror House. So those are definitely also, uh, you know, up there for me in terms of, of what I read in 2021. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you should definitely, if you haven't already, check out uh, Terror House Press um some great titles including my own which i think we'll talk about in a bit <laughs> absolutely terror house there uh and we had matt forney on the pod check out that episode he is the publisher of terror house press and uh yeah friend of the pod next up is a novel that very well could have been published by terror house press but it was published independently by Fall Town, John, which yes. is a satire. And um, this, uh, it's, you know, it's interesting, Matt, you, uh, you crashed in my place a couple of weeks ago over Thanksgiving. And uh, I had this book lying around. I had not read it yet. I just read that it was a kind of like uh, frog Twitter satire. I thought, well, that's up my alley. And, um, yeah, so you, you had been reading it, and you showed me a paragraph. And, um, you know, you said, just just read this, you'll like it. And the paragraph was going, like, John, who is the protagonist, thought about writing a book, but he realized books were gay. And he thought about writing, painting a picture, and he realized that, you know, that was stupid. And then he realized that the best thing that he could do would be uh, to do uh, the most brilliant thing of all, which is to start a podcast. And yes. uh, that was, you know, very much up our alley. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, no, um, 
what you say is true. I was I was crashing at your house a few weeks ago, and I you know I, it's it's not the longest novel ever. So I was like, I'll I'll read as much of this as I can before I leave. I didn't get to actually that far because we were kind of busy, but I got to that key paragraph uh, where it's like the. I don't know if you call it the inciting incident, but the moment where the protagonist, John, that moment where his life is irrevocably altered, and it's when he decides to start a podcast, um, which, of course, is it's a little bit satirical. It's a little bit of that wink-wink, nudge-nudge thing I mentioned earlier in the show where there's a certain resistance sometimes to start podcasts because it feels like it's something that every John Doe is doing. Um, but nevertheless, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not discouraged by that satire, obviously. It's hilarious. Um, and yeah, I haven't finished the book. I got to that paragraph. I showed it to you and I don't know how it ends. Um, I know you did read the rest of it, Dan. I don't know how much more you want to get into about it, but basically from what I've read, it seems like a hilarious book. It is a hilarious book. It, he really, um, town has, uh, he has down the, um, uh, ire, the kind of dramatic irony of, writing something that you know as the author sounds stupid and or dialogue or whatever and that you know the reader will identify as stupid but that the characters are taking at face value right that is it's something that is a literary technique and i've used it a lot in uh, nutcranker my own novel and uh it's Mm -hmm. something that in my opinion when you, you come across lines like that they're the ones that I laugh out loud at the most. For sure. No, I. that was another reason I told you, like, the paragraph, um, and we'll get more into this in a moment, uh, is because it reminded me of your book, of Nutcranker, because of that kind of dramatic irony. Last thing I'll say about uh, what I've read of John by Paul Town is that, yeah, I think I even said this to you, because I read, I probably read the, that, those, that first bit that I read, I probably read in two sittings, and the first time I'm like, yeah, like... I don't, I don't quite get the tone of this yet. Like, uh, you know, it felt, it felt, I wasn't sure how sincere it was. You know, obviously the character's name was John Doe, so I knew there was something satirical going on, but like, in a lot of ways, uh, Paul Talon is just describing a pretty relatable everyman, and I, you know, I almost found it like more, it felt almost more sincere than I was expecting. But then I got to that point, and it was kind of interesting from a literary mechanics point of view. I got to that paragraph where, it says he would start a podcast and it's like this kind of vaguely uh, ironic <laughs> thing and immediately i got you know to what this novel had been leading up to and i'm excited to read the rest of it it uh quite literally uh takes off from there because i don't think it will spoil it for the uh the readers that uh his podcast is uh quite successful and uh, so, so successful it uh, is unbelievably so. And so as a reader, someone who maybe is in this corner of the internet thinking about podcasts, him or herself, well, the, the idea that you would record a podcast and then get paid $10,000 by Chuck Palahniuk to fly out to L.A. after your first episode to do a podcast with him, that's pretty fantastical. But uh, that is oh, just man, one. Is that, what happens? that is right. just one of the things that happens to our uh, our man John Doe. It sounds like a wonderful fantasy novel. To <laughs> inspire my own fantasies. Yeah, I know. I mean, like if it weren't for the fact it's a complete satire, I'd feel uh, a little shitty. <laughs> 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 
but that brings us to a novel that, uh, in some respects, is satire, and uh, it's a good thing it is because there are some uh, some things that you certainly wouldn't want to happen to you. And uh, that is a novel by you, Matt, Dragon Day. <laughs> Yep, to put my own book on the list, or maybe maybe it was you who put it on the list, Dan. Uh, but we're gonna talk about it briefly in any case. My, so uh, Dragon yeah. Day Go on. I, is better be coming uh, <laughs> Dragon Day is, and I think this uh, distinguishes it from a lot of other uh, literary works in our sphere. Matt, you know, he sat down and wrote a proper novel. This has real characters. <laughs> this has character development. None of them are Matt, as far as I can tell. I, you know, I certainly not. hope that <laughs> they're not Matt. <laughs> uh, they're, uh, so Matt wrote a novel about a uh, kind of incel loner type who goes to a, a school that is uh, kind of... Uh, Ivy League or, you know, very, you know, fancy very liberal arts yeah. type college set in 2016 in the ferment and fervor of the uh, the Trump election or the first Trump election. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Actually, uh, I'm going to be pretentious and cut you off right before because I didn't I purposely didn't want to write about Trump and about that being in the background. So I, I purposely said it. In 2015, right before. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I didn't mean that as an actually factually kind of thing. I meant it more just to, uh, you know, no, no, yeah. But it is it is right before that moment. But nevertheless, it's I, I can see why you'd say 2016 because it it was meant to capitalize on that moment, sort of right before. Um, yeah, the the social the change that yeah. was afoot, and so this uh, this main character Toby. He, uh, you know, finds himself uh, to be a bit of an outcast and uh, doesn't really fit into the the frat and whatever culture. But uh, he makes a friend in the gym who uh, is, (laughs) uh, he runs into someone named uh, Professor Wallingford, who is, um, well, modeled on, you know, probably a number of uh, kind of uh, notorious characters from our side of the internet. I, I don't know how much more you want me to suggest or imply. Oh, yeah, no. Um, just, just basically that uh, Professor Wallingford, the sort of villain or antagonist of the novel, uh, is an ostensibly uh, young and handsome, uh, ostensibly leftist professor who is kind of an esoteric uh, fascist of sorts, uh, who has a sort of secret teaching uh that he teaches to an inner ring of disciples uh in which he inducts our protagonist uh, the best uh my favorite or actually a lot of people have said a lot of nice things but one of my favorite one of the very early things someone said about it it was my uh, i don't know him super well so i get i can't just be like my friend but you know one of one of my my online buddies um who is is a long-term um proponent of dissident literature and the alternative literature scene ben arzate uh when i sent him my manuscript said it reminded him of uh the secret history by donna tart as if it was written by michelle welbeck um i like to think of it that way myself i did you know years ago now because i was working on the novel for a matter of years uh but i did read the secret history which which is a great novel um from that 80s 90s period uh, about uh, 
it's sometimes it's actually a meme now by the way i was learning about the other other week this thing called like dark academia or something it's like a tiktok trend but anyway it's like this whole aesthetic of like people who are super academic or whatever and the secret history you know kind of encapsulates that um that milieu and i think to an extent my novel does and it's slightly different you know 2015 set way that sort of you know you know gothic library steps uh type of imagery and the notion of a just a, a professor with a massive ego and an inner ring of disciples but uh that's the setting um secret history-esque some with the plot a little secret history-esque it gets a little violent as the secret history does but i uh i like so many so many other writers um on this list of our top 10 um i'm also really influenced by michelle welbeck and i'm interested in the theme of atomization and the decline of the west and uh that those themes are very uh prevalent in in dragon day as well um, what yeah. what i will say to put maybe a button on it is um i think your novel matt is a really kind of perfect blend of thriller and satire and it's like it had me turning the pages i wanted to know uh you know is our protagonist toby going to escape the clutches of wallingford but as i'm reading there are aspects that just you know made me laugh out loud like the the first few pages where uh toby is bemoaning his uh, his lack of manhood in a very uh, anatomically <laughs> obvious way um yeah no there's just um it's an, an excellent um combination of uh a plot driven page turner and some uh, some really good comedic writing so, uh, well thank that. you yeah um, so you, you mentioned those first few. So you mentioned those first few pages in the book where Toby is bemoaning the size of his penis, um, which was sort of the original kernel that I started writing about. Um, you know, years ago, I my whole I guess process as a writer and in projects I'm working on now even is I my my goal is always and I I would like to think you know people like Wellbeck are, are similar in their ways to find these just really extreme and weird uh, emotions uh, that one may come across in their lives, things that are sources of shame or embarrassment. And uh, for better or worse, uh, my goal is to always lean as far as possible into those, perhaps exaggerate them. And, um, you know, just different notions of, of male shame and male feelings of inadequacy um, were, were sort of the initial spark for Dragon Day that I turned into a thriller plot. So I think that probably kind of is why uh, I'm, thank you for saying so, that it's a balance between uh, satire and thriller is because, yeah, inevitably, you know, I, tr I, I, I never set out, I don't really consider myself a comedic writer, but I've been told that some of my writing is funny. And I think it's because I'm just, again, as we do on this podcast, the writing we, we talk about, always just looking to hone in on that truth because often the truth is the funniest thing. Um, that's and, right. And, you know, you do have to exaggerate it a bit, and I think that's kind of where the thriller plot line comes in. Um, but on that note, I will also, uh, Dan, add your book to this little top ten list, which is... Thank you, Matt. Maybe it's kind of silly because the book is not out. It's God willing it's going to be out next year. Um, but I read it. It's a great thing that I read in 2021. It's Nutcranker by Dan Baltic. Um, another novel like mine, 
with real characters, uh, you know, a real novel, so to speak, uh, and a real satire. Um, Dan, you said that the Confeder Confederacy of Dunces uh, was a major inspiration, and that... So I would call it a modern-day Confederacy of Dunces. Like, where would Ignatius J. Riley, who's the main character of Confederacy of Dunces, who would he be today? He would be an incel uh, edgelord, you know, living in Brooklyn, you know, walking around uh, doing, you know, crazy shit. And that is, uh, in some respects, a very reductive uh, description of Nutcranker. But, uh, yeah, no. It wets the appetite. And, you know, you've said this on past episodes, and we've actually had people, like, reach out to us over Twitter and say, like, oh, that sounds great. Um, you know, which, which bodes well for how well the book uh, will do. Uh, yeah. Publishers out there, it bodes well for how well the book will do when it is released. Uh, Listen in, guys. Appetite, <laughs> uh, for this kind of thing. And, um, yeah, no, Nutcranker is excellent. As we, as we mentioned earlier, it's kind of that similar tone to John by Paul Town, where it's a certain dramatic irony where the narrator says stuff that he doesn't realize you know the delusions and the stupidity inherent to it but the the reader obviously does realize um i think similar to dragon day uh it is a little bit of an exploration of that male sense of inadequacy um which uh, as well as um just you know generally living in an atomized society um, and in that regard, it's very much in my wheelhouse, and I think probably very much in the wheelhouse of everyone listening. Um, and explores that stuff effectively. It's got a twist ending, I will also say. So uh, look yeah. out for that. So just as a uh, capitula not recapitulation of the plot, it uh, follows around a, uh, a man who is uh, in his late 20s, he gets fired from his NGO job because they discover he has a uh, uh, Mencius Moldbug style blog and uh, that you know doesn't really fly with them. So he gets fired in spectacular fashion. He bounces around, but he manages to uh, preserve his sanity by seizing upon a, uh, a new project. And that project is to... Um, transform the girl that he starts dating who he meets through a BDSM website <laughs> into a, uh, a literal uh, slave trad girl for him and uh, you know he he sets about this and uh, you know he's facing significant headwinds because he uh, he thinks that you know he's going to prevail but uh, he, uh, you know, perhaps is being subverted by her and her, uh, her leftist friends. And <laughs> um, he, uh, he runs into some trouble there. And when that, um, you know, inevitably unravels, he, uh, he goes a bit off the rails, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it has that same Paul, Paul, I call it the Paul Schrader narrative, uh, you know, where it's about you know tight focus on a, a sort of male psychology um sexually repressed in certain regards perhaps or sexually underserved in certain regards uh and you know ends in a sort of explosive orgasm of violence or or is it you know you have to you have to read it to you'll see have to see how explosive it is 
Um, and uh, just uh, for everyone's uh, edification, Nutcranker sounds like a crazy title, but uh, it is in fact the name of his favorite pornography aggregation platform, Nutcranker. You, you yes. log on to uh, you know watch porn and get your, your nuts cranked. Exactly. Um, no, and that brings up another good point also to the point where in many ways I do think the novel is is about you know one one major theme at least is BDSM and the the notion of using that to uh, I guess right wing ends um, which is hilarious. Um, based that kind BDSM. Of, exactly. Based based uh, decide. Exactly. Oh, precisely. And I mean that's also a theme in, in Dragon Day is uh, a, a look. Um, it's also a major theme in the last second edition on about to pitch. But the the sort of ironic connections between certain paraphilias and certain fetishes and certain just really, frankly, degenerate stuff uh, with the general, uh, e even though it's degenerate, uh, it kind of takes a sort of red-pilling, we might even say, look at power dynamics uh, in the same way that a lot of the political stuff we explore uh, does um, so if that if that kind of thing if, if you like my book I think you'll like Nutcranker if if if, the, if if you can see the humor in, in that sort of notion um, then Nutcranker uh, and my book both uh, I think are very much for you and I will make the bold prediction or proclamation now that. Nutcranker will be published in 2022. You know what, Dan? I think it will because either either someone's going to rise to the occasion, or I'm just going to publish it. If, yeah, if because I have to. It's, exactly. you know, it's not that hard. You know, Paul Town did it. You know, it looks pretty good. I, I can't imagine he's a millionaire, and uh, you know, I have some money, so we'll uh, yeah. we'll get this thing out there, and your nuts will be cranked. <laughs> Right, and um, I'll, I'll use that to transition to my... It's not even... I don't even consider this an honorable mention. It's just that I literally didn't know this book was... I wasn't sure if this book was going to come out until in 2021 until this past week when it did come out, which is my good friend Robert Stark's novel, Vaporfornia, the sequel to his Frog Twitter 2017 classic, Journey to Vapor Island. Um, gosh, I, I just published on my Substack um a review of the book um and i you know i don't want to drag the show on forever so i will direct your attention there um it's definitely one of the better i think it's one of the better non-fiction things i've ever written i the, robert's novel um i think it's one of the funniest novels of the year not counting nutcranker because nutcranker isn't technically out yet um it's in very grand in scope um, you know, Robert Stark is a California native. Uh, you may catch him blogging about that on Substack. This is a somewhat cartoonish, but very hilarious novel, uh, which explores the sort of sexual and economic undercurrents, uh, of the state of California. Um, I could say more, but I will, um, I'll link to, link to my Substack, um, Vaporfornia by Robert Stark just came out, uh, self-published. Um, yeah, again, I'll, I'll link to it. Uh, it's it's very much uh, a book that I a book that I had a, a large hand in helping edit and produce, so to speak. Um, and it is very much a book worth having on the radar. 
I'm excited to read it and excited to have Robert on the pod. He, uh, right. he is an upcoming guest on New He Ride. is. We, we will have him on top of next year. And uh, I think that brings us to the end of the list, Matt. I think so. Um, here's to a excellent 2022. Only good things. Only more things. Only right things. <laughs> Over and out. Sign it up.